You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is taken from Proverbs 16 and Proverbs 21. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with justice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are continuing our study in the book of Proverbs, which teach us how to live wisely in God's world. Wisdom, we have defined as the art of living well. I don't know about you, but I desire the art of living well. Wisdom is the real life navigational skills when the stakes are high and the answers are not immediately clear. And as we see from this portion of the Proverbs, wisdom involves making decisions. That's what we're talking about today, making decisions. It'll be very practical. Oh, it's about to fall off. It's just one of those mornings. Appreciate it, Pastor Jake. Oh, yeah, good decision. Good decision. Um, So wisdom involves making decisions. There's an old adage that says, man plans and God laughs. But I think that misses the, the point entirely because the assumption here is that plans are being made in the life of the believer. Verse one, the plans of the heart belong to man. So the capacity to think, to reason, to weigh your options, to act diligently, to make decisions has been entrusted to people according to the Proverbs, that belongs to you. It's yours. I love the way that one author put it. Go get a job, provided it's not wicked. Go live somewhere in something with somebody or nobody. But put aside the passivity and the quest for complete fulfillment and the perfectionism and the preoccupation with the future and for God's sake, start making some decisions in your life. Don't wait. If you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will be in God's will. So just go out and do something. You heard it here first. Go do something. 
it's so interesting because this, this teaching on making decisions would have sounded so different 10 years ago. We're like, whoa, 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 calm down in your decision making. And now today it's just like, go do something. A long-held debate in Christian circles has been regarding two really big themes, God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And we create this sort of false dichotomy that it's either God is sovereign and he's in charge of all things and people are puppets and we are just sort of helplessly along for the ride and we just sort of let go and let God or on the other side, people are responsible beings. We have free will. We're left to make decisions on our own without God meddling in everything. And we're just these like totally autonomous beings. And then we ask the unfair question, well, which one is it? Which one is it? Is God sovereign over all the details of the human experience? Or is humanity responsible for their actions and their decisions? Or maybe we ask the following question. Well, then how do you reconcile the two? I love the way that C.H. Spurgeon responded when he was asked how to reconcile God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And his answer was this. I find no need to reconcile friends. In other words, you're looking at this all wrong. They are not at odds. What is at odds with God's sovereignty? Human rebellion clearly, sin. What we see here in the Proverbs is that arrogance and pride is at odds with God's sovereignty, thinking that you know what's best for your life. But being thoughtful, responsible, and decisive is not. God's wisdom, God's mercy, his power, his authority, his intimate involvement are not opposed to your freedom and to your responsibility to make good decisions and make hard decisions and make everyday decisions. It is not man plans and God laughs. It is however man plans and God fulfills his purposes. And those are friends. So that will be the, the outline for this morning. Let's look first at man's plans. You guys still with me? It's one of those mornings we're gonna have to ask early. Man Man's plans. Let's look at verse one, the plans of the heart. Verse three, your plans will be established. Verse nine, the heart of man plans his ways. Chapter 21, verse five, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Are we seeing a repeated theme here? Here we see planning. The word here in verse one has to do with preparation. Same root word for this word is used elsewhere in scripture to describe the gathering of material in order to build an altar to the Lord. In chapter 16, verse 3 and 9, the word means to imagine. This has to do with being driven by a greater vision for your life. And then in chapter 21, planning is associated with diligence, meaning being decisive. So what we do is we step back and we take it all in and we see that the expectation for God's people is that we are a decisive people, that we're a people of vision, that we have a direction for our life. We're not aimless. We're not like a tumbleweed blowing in the wind. We don't like say things like, well, we're just, we're just not going to think about it. We're just going to let the spirit lead, which is just a cover up for being irresponsible. They are not just sort of aimless and wandering. As we see here, they're diligent. 
God's people are self-disciplined to make sure that they are moving in a chosen direction. When I was a kid, I, when I imagined like the dream job as a kid, I imagined being the boss, being the person who made decisions and then everyone executed those decisions. You were the shot caller, you were like numero uno and the one who would t- tell everyone what to do and then they carried out your desires. I now think today for most of us, the dream job is the very opposite. Imagine the dream job where you make zero decisions throughout the day. No one ever comes to you asking what to do. How amazing does that sound? Like for us today, you're like, zero decisions, please, on my job description. A social psychologist coined a term that maybe you're familiar with. It's called decision fatigue. Maybe you're not familiar with the term, but you're familiar with the sensation. Decision fatigue is the mental exhaustion that happens when you make a number of decisions throughout the day or throughout your work week, which then makes it very difficult to make smaller decisions. It can lead to impulsiveness, being hasty or not thoughtful. Think about a long day of work where you're making so many decisions and then you go to the grocery store and you start making bad decisions. You make impulsive decisions. You're like, oh, I need that, and oh, that sounds good, or that sounds tasty, and you just make impulsive decisions. Decision fatigue can also lead to procrastination. I'll just, I'll just decide later. I cannot tell you how many times over the last three years I heard people say this phrase, I just need to do a little bit more research. I just need to do a little bit more research, which was a way of saying I'm afraid to make a decision, so I'm gonna prolong that decision as long as possible. It's okay to say no. Jesus said, let your yes be yes or your no be no. Pick and stick. Decision fatigue can also lead to avoidance. How many times have you been in that situation where someone texts you a question Maybe it's an important question. Maybe it has to do with like something on the calendar. Maybe it's even a trivial question. And instead of responding with a yes or a no or a maybe or let me get back to you, you just don't respond. You leave them on read. And every time you scroll through your text, you're like, oh, (laughs) moving on. What this pattern creates is anxiety. I think a lot of us have And this is why I would say a teaching on decision-making is so different today than maybe 10 years ago. But there's a lot of anxiety that we experience around our decision-making, even really trivial decisions. I think the six most dreaded words uttered in our home is, what do you want to eat? You're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to answer. Or even worse, where do you want to eat? Oh my God. I like feel the tension in my body even uttering those words right now, right? Whenever that question is asked, it's this. Nope, you decide, you decide. So here's the thing. None of these characteristics are how the Bible describes a wise person. A wise person is not impulsive. A wise person is not a procrastinator. A wise person does not avoid making decisions. There's a really insightful challenge found in a biography about 
a, a German theologian from the mid-early 20th century named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he was writing to other churches in the 1930s during the rise of the Nazi party. Some churches, unfortunately, had aligned with power and bowed the knee to the Nazi party. But there were another group of churches that were sort of just in the middle. They hadn't made their decision. They're seeing these patterns form, but they're sort of kicking the can, waiting to make that decision about what they're going to do. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes to these leaders and churches and says this. A decision must be made at some point. And it's no good waiting indefinitely for a sign from heaven that will solve the difficulty without further trouble. Even the ecumenical movement has to make up its mind and therefore is subject to error like everything human. But to procrastinate and to be noncommittal simply because you're afraid of erring when others, I mean our brethren in Germany, must make infinitely more difficult decisions every day seems to me almost to run counter to love. And then he says these words. He says, to delay or to fail to make decisions may be more sinful than to make wrong decisions out of faith and love. To not decide may actually be worse than making the wrong decision that's made out of faith and love. Now, when deciding seems to be an overwhelming weight, and maybe you can associate with this, when you're gripped by fear, when you feel dread, when you're, when you're forced to make difficult decisions, or maybe today you have been giving in to that temptation uh, of perfectionism. Maybe you think that you are capable of making the perfect decision. Maybe you think that that is within your reach. What we need to remember is this instruction in Proverbs 16.3 that says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. I love the tension that is here because it involves commitment. I mean, that's the first word, commit. This is pick and stick. This is not like, well, leave your options open and see if something better comes along. It's make a decision and commit to it and move forward. But it's a commitment ultimately not to your decision, nor is it a commitment to your ability to carry out your decision. It's a commitment to the Lord. And this word commit here means to roll onto. It's a beautiful word. It means literally to like roll a burden or a stone off of something and onto something else. And I don't know about you, but when I, when I hear that, I, I get some resurrection imagery. That the one who invites you to commit your plans and your future to him, to roll your burdens and your decisions onto him, is the same one who rolled the stone of Jesus' tomb away. And I believe what is intended here for the believer is that God is inviting you to experience the very freedom and life that his own son Jesus experiences in the resurrection. Jesus is inviting us into resurrection life as we roll our burdens onto him. 1 Peter 5, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you or lift you up, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? 
Because he cares for you. Psalm 55, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. So when it instructs us to commit our work to the Lord, the instruction is to roll the weight of our decisions into his capable hands. We bring our plans, we bring our decisions, we bring our work to him, but we must submit it into his hands. We've got to trust that the outcomes are not ours, that the outcomes are not up to us. It is up to God to establish it. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times it's just been so freeing to recognize, wait, this one's on God. This is on God. And the results are in his hands. I yield to his wisdom. I yield to his power. I yield to his sovereignty. I yield to his goodness throughout the process. I get to take a deep breath because the burden of my life and the burden of my future is not on me. It's on him. I remember a, um, a season of intense burden. Maybe you guys were around for this time about eight years ago. Just intense burden around some decisions regarding this church, ministry, my own life, some relationships. And I have the proclivity to do this, but intensely in this season, I was walking around like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. Like everything was on me. And reality's founding pastor Britt, I remember having a meeting with him at one time and he picked up on it immediately. He could just see me carrying it and he began to pray for me. And if you guys know, I come from a charismatic background so I'm a sucker for this kind of stuff. But he laid his hand on my shoulder and he began to like act out what he was praying and he began to pray like, Lord, we roll these burdens off. We, we roll these burdens off his shoulders and onto, onto you. They're, they're not his to carry. The weight of the world, the weight of the church, the weight of these decisions are not his. They're yours. And I cannot, I, I mean, you see, like, the way it impacts me now. I cannot tell you how intensely freeing that reminder in that moment was that these are not my burdens to carry, that the one who holds the universe in the palms of his hand is carrying me and he's carrying his church. And this is what God is inviting you into, if you will receive it. Especially when it comes to your decision making. Yes, he desires that you would be diligent. He wants you to be diligent. He wants you to be a decisive person. But what God wants most is that you would trust him. That you would commit your work into his hands through prayer and to live open-handed before him. The other day, we were talking with our kids about what it means to make hard decisions. 
And we talked about, like, what does it mean to pray through things? And my son asked a really important question. He said, how do you know, if you're praying about something, how do you know which way God is directing you? How do you know which way God is telling you to go? And that was one of those questions that kind of kept me on my toes. I was like, how do you know? And it was a moment of reflection for us. Michelle and I have found that we can often discern whether or not God is in something when those who are involved in praying into it are unified. I'm not saying every voice in your life is going to be in agreement, but I'm talking about those who are intentionally interceding and praying into a decision. Often what we've found is that God works through unity. We're often able to have discernment based on the unity that's formed through prayer. Also, the counsel of others is really important in decision-making. I personally am not willing to make hard decisions in life, big decisions in life, without bringing other people into that decision. Additionally, we have prayed before, like, Lord, if this is not your will, close the door. I am dense, and I am dumb, and I don't hear you often. So just slam the door in my face, and then I'll get it. Then I'll get it. And then other times, other times, we've just had to, like, step forward in uncertainty. There have been times where it was just like, we just don't know, and we've got to trust that I don't have the ability to mess up God's will. I don't have the ability to, like, screw up God's purposes. I'm just not good enough to do that. And so there will be times where the answer we seek comes. And I got to tell you, there are going to be times where it just doesn't. And you'll get no answer. And for those times, we need to be reminded of what C.S. Lewis prayed. He said, I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. You are yourself the answer. Before your face questions die away, what other answer would suffice? Sometimes we got to recognize that it wasn't really the decision that was the point. The intimacy that God was cultivating and fostering through the decision-making process was the point. He was drawing you in. He was bringing you near. The decision, secondary. The intimacy is primary. Man's plans. You guys still with me? I teared up, so there's no way you're not with me at this point. Just kidding. Um, let's look secondly at God's purposes. And I've got to speed this up. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, Proverbs 16, 4. There's a line in the Lord of the Rings that, series that I love because I think it, it helps us grasp the tension between our decision-making and God's purposes. And it goes like this. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. Well, so do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. There is freedom, and there is responsibility in our decision-making, but what we have to remember is that our lives and our decisions fit into a bigger picture, something so much bigger than ourselves and something so much beyond ourselves, out of our control completely. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29, we're told this, that the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So there's the secret things and there's the revealed things. What, what, what are these? The secret things refer to God's hidden 
purposes in history, the mystery of his eternal will. This refers to his timing. This refers to his decisions, his specific plans throughout time, who he chooses to use, when he chooses to act. This is often what we are sort of getting at when we ask the big question, why? God, why? That may be a hidden thing, which, by the way, doesn't belong to you, which is, by the way, probably good to mention, God does not owe you an answer to every question. But then there's the revealed things. What God has revealed through his word, the aspects of his character, his heart, his commands, the character that he desires for you and I to have, the kind of wisdom that he desires for us to obtain, his vision for our lives. Now, this does not mean that every answer is gonna come through reading the Bible. Like, what person should I marry? Ruth, ah! Or like, where am I supposed to live? Babylon, I didn't even know that's still a place. Like, where is that? Or what career should I pursue? Now, we're not left high and dry because the Bible does tell us, give us clarity about God's vision for marriage. So he tells us what marriage ought to look like. And he does tell us the characteristics that we should be looking for in a spouse. And the Bible does tell us to, you know, the people that we should avoid and not live with and not associate with and the things that we should refuse to do in order to obtain success and advance in our careers and so on and so forth. But you know what I find interesting about Christians today is that often in our decision-making, we are obsessing about the secret things that belong to God and then we're often disregarding the revealed things that belong to us. Notice that. We pray to know God's plan for our life, which essentially is us asking, God, show me every single step along the way, all the way into my future. Reveal my destiny. And then what God has revealed, what he has spoken, we shrug it off. We're like, uh, nah. For instance, 1 Thessalonians 4. It couldn't get more explicit than this. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. You're like, well, nah. Is that really God's will? Yeah. God's purpose for your life and the life of the believer is summed up in that statement, your sanctification, growth in godly character, looking more and more like Jesus Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is so important to a conversation about decision-making. Now, we, we tend to think about our decisions throughout the day as this, like, what am I going to order at the coffee shop? Or what shoes do I want to wear? Or what am I going to, you know, watch on Netflix tonight? Or what am I going to eat for dinner? Oh, that dreaded question again. And then maybe once in a while, we have, like, big decisions that are mixed in there. And so we divide our decisions between big decisions and little decisions, and we forget something big here. That for every conscious decision, there are countless unconscious or subconscious decisions. On average, we all make around 35,000 decisions a day. And out of those 35,000 decisions, how many of those do you think are intentional? A generous estimate is that about 2% of our decisions that we make throughout the day are intentional which means that the remainder of those, 98% of our decisions, 
happen naturally without thinking from cracking your knuckles. I hear some cracking knuckles over there. To clicking on your turn signal. To like scratching that itch. And on and on and on. To bigger things like taking a second glance. Pouring another glass. Raising your voice. Slamming your fist. Pressing hard on that accelerator. These are actions that are driven not by rational thought. Will you have the time to sit down and have a level head and bring out your whiteboard and get your pros and cons list? You know, should I do this? And well, here's all the benefits of this and here's all the cons of this. No, these are the actions that are driven by your natural impulses and your desires that have been established over time through habits, ways that have been formed into you. This is why it is so foolish to tell someone to just simply stop doing something that they shouldn't, as if it's easy to just make the decision to stop. Stop raising your voice. Stop experiencing road rage. Stop drinking. Just stop. Okay. Thanks. There are deeper layers to be addressed. And this is why the Proverbs aren't just telling us how to make good decisions. Like, I'm not going to give you, like, here's the five steps of making a godly decision. That's not here. And the reason for this is because the Proverbs are focused on building godly character that then leads to making good decisions, intentionally and unintentionally, becoming the kind of person that acts wisely in the 2% and in the 98%. And the Proverbs cast this beautiful vision in verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord. Ways that please the Lord. It's referring to an entire life of godly character. Not just what you decide, but the person that you're becoming. I know I read this quote all the time. But Dallas Willard once said that the most important thing in your life is not what you do. It's what you become. That's what you take with you into eternity. Now, does God care about what you decide today? Absolutely. But his purpose, his goal, his vision is ultimately about the person that you're becoming. He desires for you to be wise, humble, diligent, righteous, and just. And if you and I are tempted to think that we can just decide to be that person today, then we're missing the point. Because right at the center of this passage, there's a verse that at first seems sort of out of context, but actually is the key. Look with me again in verse 6, chapter 16, verse 6. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. By The steadfast love and faithfulness of God, iniquity, meaning the consequences of all of our failure and all of our sin, all of the fallout of all of our bad decisions, is atoned for, is dealt with, it's reconciled. And what we have here is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who, through love and through faithfulness, bore the weight of our failure and sin, the weight of the world 
came down on him so that you and I don't have to carry it. Think about this. The consequence of every bad decision, past, those, those, those decisions that still haunt you today, present, and the bad decisions of the future that you've yet to make, came down on him on the cross. So that through faith in him, the outcome of his perfect decision-making could be applied to us. The gospel creates a distinct freedom in our decision-making. For one, Jesus brings clarity to all that God is planning, all of his purposes throughout time, and what my part is in all of it. Like, I can't know what to do next unless I know the story I belong to. I have no idea where I'm going if I don't know where it is all headed. And Ephesians chapter one gives us that clarity. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's what he's doing. That's where it's all headed. Therefore, that's now what my life is all about. What is it all about? Seeing men, women, children, all of creation, creation reconciled to God, our creator. It all coming together in Jesus. And when we realize that now our destiny isn't just like hanging in the balance. Like brush that off your shoulder. Your destiny is not hanging in the balance based on your ability to make good decisions regarding your spouse or where you live or your future career or the school you attend. It rests on God's decision to save us and his choosing to bring us into his story of grace and redemption. When we find confidence in his choice of us, what it creates is a deep comfort and a resilience in our planning and our preparing. I don't know what the future holds, but man, do I know it's bright because of Jesus Christ because of the promise of the gospel, because God is making all things new. So I wanna act this out too on you. Take it off your shoulders, roll that burden onto him, and as Jesus said, come to him, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and he will give you rest, amen? Let me pray. Father, we thank you.